Okay, great. So I'll start with a little vocal siren. I guess this is this is my my theater space warm up. So I'll I'll do a deep breath, try and ground myself physically and emotionally, and then just starting with a little. right over the break there and then back from below. And I'll do that until I feel kind of properly accessed in the entire voice box. Uh, and then I'll do uh, a classic vowel warm up, vocal warm up from my dad, Professor Eric Menzel at the University of Oregon, who teaches voice. He does the German word Euler, and he really tries to get us to engage through the diaphragm. So I always put a hand on my stomach and another one just kind of above that at the, the bottom of the rib cage. And I'll take a, take a pitch and I'll go Euler, Euler, Euler. And really focusing on not using too much of a glottal stop on that vowel and really accessing a lot of backspace. Again, these are all very kind of musical theater warm-ups. And then I'll start singing that and I'll go, Oile, 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 Oile. And once I've done that a couple times up and down the scale, I'll return to my breath. I'll start doing some facial massage. I take my fingertips, rub on the jaw muscles, Make sure the instrument is as open and relaxed as possible. Do a couple lip trills, do some vowel shapes with my mouth. And then I'll end uh, repeating the mantra that um, I've stolen from the prominent American R&B and visual artist, Frank Ocean. <laughs> you know, don't take yourself too ser self-seriously. Fuck who sees and nobody cares. And I think that that's a really great way of lowering the stakes for any kind of creative outlet that you may be exploring. And remembering that who you create for ultimately is yourself and in an attempt to connect, I think, through that vehicle. And I think that that mantra really grounds you and makes sure that you stay kind of true to yourself rather than uh, adjusting, you know, based off of outside stimuli that may not be relevant and that may not speak to kind of your truer inner purpose, no matter what artistic or creative medium that might be. Thank you for listening. Welcome to Artistic Beginnings. I'm Mitch. And I'm Melody. This is a podcast where we speak with a variety of creatives to learn about their artistic beginnings. Today, we have Alex Menzel, who is a performer, an activist, and a student, among many other things. We talked with him about his life in the arts and being a part of a startup called Averto. Let's jump back into the conversation, starting with a little more about his warm-up. <laughs> do you do variations on this, I'm assuming, then? Yeah. To... Okay. For sure. I mean, that was kind of what I felt like doing right now, considering I'm sitting down at my desk. But yeah, it's kind of a day by day thing, depending on what either my voice or my back or my diaphragm or my mouth or jaw is feeling like it needs more. And so, you know, I might do more of a singing warm up if that's appropriate for, you know, the gig or the audition or kind of what I need. I think that's so cool and so like important to have because depending on what you're doing, you're going to need different parts of your body and your mind to be in a different state. So I think it's cool mm -hmm. that you have a little bit of everything. But yeah, so why yeah. don't you give us a little TLDR on who you are? Yeah, so let's see. My name is Alex. I was really raised in an artistic household, you know, like you guys mentioned Melody as well. Both my parents were musicians. 
for 20 years as freelancers in Europe. So I was I was born in Germany, which is where they were living and working at the time. And the type of music that they did is called early music. So my dad was a singer and the music he did generally ranged from, you know, kind of Gregorian chant of the Middle Ages and other music of the Middle Ages through the, the Renaissance and into the early Baroque. And my mom was a multi-instrumentalist of the same period. So a lot of historical performance practice, you know, trying to perform these these kind of old, these really, really old manuscripts of music in a way that's that's accurate to the time. So whether that's a different singing style or a new instrument build that has the correct tuning versus a modern, you know, classical instrument, that was really their focus. So that's kind of what I was born into. And my parents are one of the few people in their artistic group that, that had, that had kids, that had kid. So I was really, I, I remember kind of my earliest memories being very creative, you know, gatherings at, at the apartment, being passed around from lap to lap late into the night after a concert with, you know, discussions about music and wine and performance and kind of all these things is very kind of golden memory of my childhood. So maybe it wasn't really that much of a surprise that I ended up becoming very interested at a very, very young age in performance of some kind. Mm. I did my first kind of school play in second grade, which was my last year in Germany before we moved to Oregon when my dad got a job at the U of O teaching voice, U of O's University of Oregon. And uh, and within, you know, a couple months of moving here, I went up to my mom and I said, mom, like, I want to be in a musical. <laughs> and she kind of went, what? <laughs> and I said, I want to be in a musical. And she said, well, okay. Let's see if there's some community theater in town. And there was, you know, like many places. And then that was kind of the beginning of it all. And that has led me onward to, you know, working professionally a bit on screen in LA and in Portland, Oregon. It's led me to doing operas in Seattle. It's led me to Broadway musicals in New York and kind of everything, everything in between. But, you know, the, the journey started a long time ago and it was really shaped by that, that early upbringing and that, that early support for people that really, that, that were very knowledgeable, whether that was from my family or, or from early directors, early teachers, you know, people that were very giving and, and always supported the dream as it were, but kept it realistic too, which I, I really value. And now I'm, I'm in my senior year at U of O. I'm double majoring in German literature and theater. So, you know, I've kept those parallel interests from my childhood still very much active, so much so that I decided mm. to dedicate, well, ultimately like seven, six, seven years of undergrad rather than the traditional four <laughs> to those topics. And, you know, I'm working on a, a thesis what was a thesis play and is now going to kind of take some other form because my performance got canceled with this pandemic. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, I guess I'm in that transition time now when you're trying to figure out what you do and where you go with some early uh, traction, but, you know, nothing like a sustainable career yet and uh, trying to figure out what, you know, what type of creativity you want to focus on and where you want to do it and what that journey is going to look like. So that's, yeah, that's the the too long didn't listen about, <laughs> about me. <laughs> I just wanted to catch, uh, you said that you did, was it a musical or maybe just a play in second grade? Do you remember what your first performing experience, like what that show was? Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. It's amazing how, how much it's, it's branded into my memory. It was <laughs> a play adaptation of the German fairy tale, The Pied Piper of Hamelin which tells the story of a uh, city 
that is, uh, coincidentally enough, plagued by the plague, which seems very relevant <laughs> for <laughs> for our current very time. Timely. Very, very timely. Very timely. Yeah. And the mayor of the town, which is the, the role I played, decides that he's going to go to this magical Pied Piper, this magical, you know, flute piper player who plays enchanted flute music. And he's going to, you know, pay him to lead all of the plague rats out of the city and into a river where they will drown and thus free the city from the the grips of this deadly plague. And he, the Pied Piper, does so and takes the rats away. And then the mayor decides not to pay him for his services now that the city is free from plague and the Pied Piper comes back I believe three times to to ask for money and each time is rebuffed by the mayor and then he in order to to you know teach the mayor and this the town folk a lesson he enchants all of the children in the city the way he enchanted the rats and leads them out of the city gates down to the river where they drown. Dark. Oh my god. Yeah. Definitely really good material for second graders. Very much so. Yeah. So I played the villain in that piece, as it were, the antagonist. I mean, I guess the Pied Piper is also sort of a villain, although maybe he would fall more into An the, the anti-hero. Exactly. Yeah. Since he is justified in, you know, not having been paid for his magical services. And yeah, and so the mayor, you know, the way I played him as this kind of conniving German Bürgermeister is the, is the word for it, this conniving mayor with a cigar and big newspaper <laughs> who kicked back at the, at the table in town hall and, you know, it was very I have such a great image of second grade you doing this. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was quite, it was quite the little production. Wow. And, and I remember even then parents came up to my mom afterward and, and said, you know, ah, he was so funny and so evil in that role. And, and it, that was like the switch, you know, there's, I think there's mm-hmm. that moment where, where you, you first feel that audience connection and that, you know, that moment of make-believe and, and taking on a character other than yourself. And uh, the profoundness of that is not something I think that only adults can feel, right? That's, yeah. I think even though you're in second grade, you're eight years old, I think I understood that as fundamentally as as I would have at any other age, which was really cool. So yeah, that was, that was my first introduction to the theater. That's wonderful. So this may seem like a totally out there question, but I have to ask it just because it's been nagging in my head. Yeah. It seems like from way before you were born, you were destined to have this kind of artistic path. Was there ever a moment, however, where you were considering not going down this path or mm. where you came across a challenge where you were like, mm, maybe this isn't right for me? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. In some ways, I feel like I'm at that crossroads now. I've also felt that way prior to almost graduating college and almost finishing this degree. I think after high school also was a, was a similar time. When you you know when I was trying to decide what it is that I wanted to study and uh, what path I wanted to go on, e- you know, even once I had said, okay, do I want to continue down this artistic path? If so, you know, do I want to fully commit to it by just say, you know, moving to either New York or LA and making a run for it, taking classes locally, going out on auditions? Do you do the more, I guess, mainstream route of trying to get into a BFA program in acting or musical theater and 
going through those four years, but really all that you study, you know, art, just acting, you know, or do you go to what I ended up choosing to do, you know, state university and and majoring in a non-audition theater program and also doing uh, a liberal arts degree in, in, you know, in a different topic, German literature for me. So in that moment as well, I, I think I've faced those questions. And when I've, when I've ended up in that situation, there's always been, or I've always given myself the impetus or the permission to apply for one last thing. So an example, this is very theoretical. So let me, let me ground this a little bit in an example. <laughs> in 20, 2016, 2017, I was at the point where I thought I'd be graduating and I was trying to figure out, you know, I was looking at what I wanted to do with my, my undergraduate thesis. And I had a, a bunch of ideas circling around and, and some of them were, you know, non-performance, non-creatively oriented. And then I, I said, okay, you know, I'm, I'll look at those, but I'm also going to apply for this fellowship, a German Academic Exchange Service Fellowship, which would take me to Germany for six months. And, you know, and I, I, I said, then I can immerse myself in the performance kind of world there. And on top of that, I will also try and get, you know, either an internship or work in the theater during mm. my time in Germany. And, you know, if that works out, then I'm going to go down that path. And if not, then I'm going to look at these kind of other things. And I did ultimately receive that fellowship, which was incredible. And I was really, really lucky to, to then spend almost actually closer to, to seven months in Germany and, and working as an assistant director at a professional contemporary, you know, state funded theater and doing research and doing um, little performance projects, you know, within the university setting there, which was very much tied to the performance world. You know, one thing that's interesting, this is kind of a tangent, but one thing I found very interesting by spending time in Europe is that the overlap between, say, the university and kind of theory and then the practical arts world is, is much closer than in the U.S., where I really feel like there's a kind of a stark division between the industry mm. and education uh, or research um, or kind of that that side of it. And so that was, you know, really interesting. And I got to be really immersed in that and came back sort of more motivated than ever to to take what I had learned and turn that into an artistic project, which is this thesis thing that I'm still working on. And then I, again, I kind of faced another decision moment a year after my return when I ended up sort of stumbling into co-founding this tech startup called Averto. And I've been working on that really kind of really hard for the past year. And, and creative work has really had really fallen by the wayside during that time. And you know, I, I'm not doing as many self-tapes for LA. I had a couple auditions up in Portland. So, you know, I was always keeping my foot in it, but I was also exploring other mm -hmm. paths. And then now I, you know, I did a play in the winter and started collaborating on a screenplay with a friend. And it, it's a sort of like it kicked back into gear, right? And so mm -hmm. to take this rambling monologue and make it have a, a final point, I would say that what I found is is less that it's kind of these big, fork in the roads where I'm thinking, okay, do I continue to do this thing that I've kind of committed a lot of time and effort to and something that I love to do and something I've collaborated on with other people? Or do I go in a different direction? And I've never been able to, I guess, make a final decision, or I've never been in a situation where I have to make a really strong one or the other. And that's allowed me to continue to, again, keep my foot in both ponds, both the creative journey and then other things that interest me and that I find fulfilling and that maybe pay me, which is also important in order to, you know, make a living. And so I guess I keep hoping that one of those really turns out and I'm able to do it kind of 
fully, but I also know that I or I wrestle with with the sense that maybe it's it's me internally that needs to make the one thing kind of my full time, full effort focus rather than waiting for an external impetus to make that decision. So Again, that was a, I don't have a clear answer for you, I think, because I'm in the middle of it. And I feel like I'm often in the middle of it. And maybe that's more true for people in the arts generally than it's acknowledged to be. I don't know. Have you guys found that, you know, you're threading this needle year to year and sometimes it's a little more, sometimes it's a little less? Or do you find that you really have been able to fully commit and just be immersed in in that one creative journey? I will say that the only the way that I can relate to this is what type of performing that I want to do because I love Mm. all of it. It's hard to be like, oh, I want to just do theater or I want to just do film and TV. So I feel like that's relatable in the sense of, you know, having to pick not as hard as having to pick two totally different life choices. But that's my answer. Mitch, go ahead. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, for me. I like to believe that I do more of a thread the needle type situation Mm -hmm. with a balanced life. Mm -hmm. Creativity and pursuing the arts and artistic endeavors has always been a critical part of the way I lead my life. Just because of the foundation that our parents and where I find the most joy in kind of falls into play. That being said, I find that I am able to leverage the skill set and the creative approach to my life in other ways that people are more typically going down career paths. So I I work in corporate America. I work for Live Nation. I work for Ticketmaster where I, I do research. And I get to leverage my speaking and my interview skills by running basically usability tests and everything with technology products and reaching Mm -hmm. out to people and making connections, but then also using my creative side to present those findings that I get from the research to teams in effective ways and creating documents. And then while I'm doing that, I'm able to still find the time outside of my nine to five to pursue projects such as this. You know, the the podcast is my artistic outlet. And by making the time for what I consider hobbies and pursuits that could potentially be full-time or or even bring in income that could supplement my my living lifestyle, there's still very much just passions and it's not a singular path that I think I need to decide. So that mm-hmm. kind of brings me to a question for for you, Alex, is do you feel like you have to make a decision and you have to choose one path or do you think that you can get a mixture and uh, what does that kind of look like? I think it depends a little bit on what type of creativity I end up wanting to do more of in my life in terms of mm. if I need to make a final decision. You know, I, I think to be an actor and to be to do anything else is pretty difficult uh, or to be, I should say, to be an actor who's working uh, at let's say the highest level or the nearly the highest level. So, you know, off Broadway and Broadway in New York, television and film in in Hollywood, to be, you know, a working actor in that it's, I think the time commitment and the lifestyle. I mean, you know, if you book a series recurring role on a television show, then, you know, there's really no way of balancing that with also a full-time job in a more typical or standard career. So to do that, if if that ends up being the path I commit myself to, I, I think I would need to, to make that decision that that is my focus and that other things are just, you know, other things are are supplementary. You know, that is just, you know, you teach dance to make a living so you can pay your rent or you work at the cafe. Doing something like writing, this is something that I've, you know, really only started getting into as a creative 
medium, I think is much easier to balance with a, a more full-time alternate career. There's lots of famous writers that you can cite as an example who, you know, either never turned their writing into their full-time job, even if they could have because they didn't want to, or, you know, who write and work until the writing sort of picks up. I'm working a lot with Kafka, uh, Franz Kafka, the German author, because I'm adapting his, his you know, uncompleted novel, The Trial, into this, this performance piece for my thesis. And he was a, an insurance adjuster his entire career. And was a published author as well during his life, lifetime. Wow. So I think that, that that medium lends itself maybe to more of an ability to, to thread the needle, to use the term that we've kind of settled on, uh, I think is something pretty descriptive for this, this situation that, that creative people find themselves in. I think I will probably need to make a decision probably in the next six months. <laughs> no, I think that's a very good point because it's very hard to do other things. You know, mm -hmm. I'm living that life right now and it's on hold at the moment. But when you are auditioning three, four times a day in New York, you really don't have time to have another job or you have, you know, I have babysitting, other people work at restaurants and you kind of have that kind of schedule, but your brain capacity yeah. and, you know, your soul can only take so much dedication and work that like even after a second audition when I have a couple during the day I already feel a little bit burnt out how have you balanced it up until now a lot of coffee and very little <laughs> sleep <laughs> it, you know I, again I think because I've been in the suspended animation a little bit of of still being in college uh that balance is maybe a bit easier because you don't have you know you don't have to make a livelihood yet. There's this ability yeah. I think that I've had where I can go work on this theater piece in Germany because I'm funded to do so. And then, you know, it's not like when those seven months are up, I'm, well, now I'm living full-time in Germany and that theater piece has ended and okay, how do I make a living at this? You know, how do I turn that that singular experience into a career? There was always an end date on it and always a return date um, because I wanted to finish this degree because I value that and and, and wanted to to have that. Mm -hmm. So that helps. But you know, in terms of practical strategies, I'm not <laughs> I'm not the best at it. But one thing that has helped is is setting aside certain days for certain activities in my week and and scheduling that in advance so that you're always kind of you're, I can react if need be to things that might come up. But you know, if I'm working on this this creative project for my thesis, you know, I, I say in advance, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, those are the days that I'll be working on that. And then Tuesday and Thursday are the days that I'll be working on this tech startup. And then, you know, Saturday is a day for not working. And then Sunday is, mm -hmm. you know, getting everything else done that maybe kind of fell by the wayside during the week, um, because you just had other priorities. And kind of sticking that to that type of work routine being being self disciplined is really important, I think, to not being as subject to the to the whims of whatever industry you're working in. Uh, don't wait, create, they always say, right? And that that's a little glib. Totally. I don't know if it's always that simple. But I think that the, the spirit of that is really helpful for me in terms of in terms of balancing. And then a little final point here, just to kind of to end on with this question, for me anyway, is that starting a whole new kind of creative outlet uh, is something that I've done. 
in terms of just writing poetry. And, you know, it's basically for myself. Sometimes I put it on Instagram or something and or send it to friends and, and get little comments on it. But, you know, I'm not trying to become a published poet. You know, I'm not really honestly aiming for anything particularly ambitious with my poetry. It's an outlet and it's a way of staying creative even when I'm doing other things that are not that. And that contrasts to my ambitions as a new writer and as an actor and and as what I would like to direct someday you know those ambitions are much larger and I have these kind of Mm -hmm. grand dreams of you know making important vital and statements (laughs) that are also funny and entertaining you know and there's this kind of you know massive just mosh of of desires but the poetry is just something very small and it's it's about my emotions and it's very fulfilling and, and it keeps me I think grounded in that creative mode And that, you know, finding whatever outlet that is for you, I think can be a huge, huge help for balancing many things going on at once. So one sentiment that brings to mind kind of one of your newer endeavors that you said that you kind of just stumbled upon about a year ago, the app Averto brings to mind the idea of just trying something new and, Mm -hmm. and having a lot going on and being able to really focus on kind of what's what's most important. Would love to talk a little bit and and hear you give us a little bit more information about what Averto is, how yeah. that even came to be, what that experience of stumbling <laughs> upon your your co-founders kind of looked like. Yeah. That's yeah, that, that's a it's a fun origin story. So, Averto is this crowdsourced community moderated conflict mapping app, basically. So if you know the navigation app Waze, as people living in LA, I know you do. It takes the same conceit of crowdsourcing information and displaying it on a map, but instead of crowdsourced alerts on, you know, how heavy the traffic is on the the 405, it it takes this this principle and applies it for people, civilians living in pretty life or death situations in conflict zones. So you're going to see alerts and fake militia checkpoints being set up, or if there was a roadside bomb that went off, things like that. It it can feel very distant from what I generally do, but there is a through line and, and that through line is, is, what I've been working on as a creative person, I've been really interested in addressing issues of human rights and and social justice, but through the creative lens. And this play that I've been doing has been very specifically about U.S. immigration bureaucracy and the types of abuses that take place primarily on our southern border and the experience of being sucked up into a vast bureaucratic machine and what that looks like and what that says about our humanity and our society. And again, this goes into these kind of really grand ambitions that I have as uh, as a creative person. And that kind of animating impulse is something I was talking about with a really old friend of mine, Harley, who I've known since middle school. And I was telling her about, you know, what I'm trying to do with this thesis play and what I had learned in Germany and, and, and you know, kind of what, what my ambitions were. And she said, you know, well, I'm I'm actually working on this this startup idea that that would really have a tangible effect on the the types of people that that you care about and that you seem to be trying to do work with and and on their behalf but you know on the creative side this is kind of this is a tech business thing I've got going and we could really use someone Mitch this is going to sound familiar I think to or this is going to call back to what you said uh, 5 10 minutes ago we need someone who has you know public speaking skills and who can pitch and who can talk to potential investors and who can help us on the research side and, and help communicate, you know, our product development and our research in, in digestible and compelling ways. Is that something you'd be interested in doing? And I went, yeah, for sure. 
And we worked on it for a little bit. This was before this kind of predates the formation of Averto. We were working on a, another idea and we, we didn't really have any, any tech built and we were trying to raise money to build this, this software app. Uh, we ended up in conversation with a friend of a friend of Harley's who is Libyan American. His name's Abdullah and he works as a professional, you know, full-time software developer in, in Texas. It turns out that he had built basically uh, a software solution that looked very similar to the one we were trying to raise money to build. And we had a meeting and we really hit it off. Harley and I were down in, in, in Texas anyway for a, a competition. And he came down from Austin to Dallas and we spent, God, how many hours together? We, we met at 2 p.m. And I, I think we, we parted ways at 2 a.m. because it was just this sort of instant connection. So we joined forces and Overto was was born out of that that meeting. And we've been working on it really hard ever since. And we released our beta in Tripoli, Libya, which we did because that's where these kind of connections that we had through Abdullah and through Harley as well. She spent a lot of time in North Africa and the Middle East. Prior to this, we released the beta there and, you know, built up a community moderating network and built up a Facebook page. And we're up to almost a quarter million users across Libya now who use it every day. That's incredible. Wow. We talk about something that's been kind of an insane experience and something I never thought I would end up doing uh, with someone with a, a creative, more creative background. That definitely qualifies. It's, it's kind of, uh, you have to shake yourself a little bit every day and go, wow, okay, this is, you know, this is something. This is something really tangible and really real. And that feeds into, I think, uh, motivation as a creative person as well. I mean, ultimately, you're trying to create something that feels real and that is real for other people. And, and we'll, you know, we, we'll see what happens. We're still, you know, in the startup phase, pre-revenue, but we've got a lot of users and we've got a great team and we've done a lot to figure out how to turn this into a financially sustainable, but also responsible company. And funding is now probably going to dry up considering the, the the economic effects of the pandemic. But you know, we're considering potential pivots and additions to to the, the basic software that would address sort of global health concerns. So we're, you know, we're, we're figuring out where to go from here, but it's it's been mm. really interesting. And I think it has the the potential of continuing to be really relevant and, and do really great work in the future. So it sounds like you found a very, all of the stars kind of aligned for this opportunity where it's you knew a lot of the right people. You had the internal motivation and life mission, it sounds like, to help other people and have this deep desire to have the human rights and the impact for positive benefit for like the community of, of people that are affected negatively by certain circumstances. And then you have the skill set that you've built up over the years through your artistic endeavors that have kind of made you valuable for bringing that vision to fruition. Yeah, that's right. It's really interesting. I don't know. I'm curious, or I guess this is something that I've, I've I've been thinking about a lot a lot lately in light of this experience is is the way in which you know opportunities or or moments of of change often seem to be kind of outside of our direct control, and that practical experience I have goes against my belief in kind of one's own or that, that one is, is is the master of one's own fate, or that one should try to be, you know, as much as one can, depending on on the various circumstances that, of course, you know, we're faced in, whether that's structural inequality, or that, you know, we're born into, or interests we might have. But yeah, I, I mean, for both of you as well, you know, do you, do you feel like, are you just kind of 
doing the type of work that you're doing or Mitch, when you, when you were, before you were started working for, for Live Aid, was that kind of, you know, a direction you knew you wanted to go towards, or is it something that kind of presented itself and it, it lined up well with, with the skill set that you already had and the path that you had been on. And, and Melody, when you're going out for auditions, I mean, I, I, I can relate to this too, the sense that, you know, you audition and you audition and you audition and you just kind of hope that you finally, everything comes together, you know, a project and a cast and a director and a role, you know, how, how do you guys reconcile that, that sense of things that are both outside of your control and the, the, that which you can kind of work on and, and, and shape? Well, I, I can start off with how I kind of approach my life is I, I work really hard and I practice a lot at a bunch of different things that I'm passionate about. Mm-hmm. And I am fortunate enough to have a lot of opportunities come my way. And when they fit with things that I'm interested in, I will pursue them. So in my current yeah. situation, right, where I'm, I'm working for Live Nation, I love live entertainment and I had the skill set to do user research and started developing more skills in that area around market research even. And by having the position, I'm able to support the world in a way that I have a, a certain skill set that others may not. So I'm able to go in and kind of have fulfillment by doing that work. But it also allows me to have the time to do things that I just come across and I'm interested in, such as this Mm -hmm. podcast, for instance, right? Where it's just like, hey, like the idea came up, I talked with Mel, we did it, and uh, now we're here. Like we're we're talking with people, uh, really interesting people doing amazing things, such as yourself, obviously. And then we're able to go the following day. I'm going into work. Well, I'm I'm, I'm going into virtual work because of the uh, current Mm. situation we're in, but I I still take the time. I I do my work there. I, I use the skills I've got. And then, you know, when opportunities arise to do cool stuff, like, I mean, obviously the, your, your opportunity to do a Virto, if that came in, in anyone's direction and they, they were interested in that, I would hope that they'd have the facility to, to kind of say like, yeah, let's, let's go do it. Right. I think for me, (laughs) it's really easy. (laughs) Well, I think it's really easy for me to compartmentalize, especially Mm. when it comes to what is in your control versus what is out of your control. Because in the entertainment industry, so Mm. much is out of your control (laughs) that, you know, you take what you can control and you control the hell out of it. You know, my best advice to anybody doing that is to leave it in the room and forget about it because, you know, in the entertainment industry, there are so many moving parts that have nothing to do with Mm. you personally. And it's hard to not take it personally because it is you that's going in the room. There's so many things that are in the works that have absolutely nothing to do with you. So, you know, you could be the most talented person that they saw all day, but you just weren't the right fit for the role. So I think having the mindset of walking and thinking, if I'm the best person to cast for this role, please cast me. If not, don't cast me because I don't want to be in something that I am not the best fit for because it's not fair to everyone else on the project and to the person who, (laughs) you know, is the best fit for it. But I also find different outlets as well. You know, I take dance classes and I have this and, you know, even in my side hustle babysitting, it's honestly very helpful. They have such a curiosity and a wonder in this world. And I think that is something as human beings, as we get older, we forget. 
Mm. and we lose. And I think being around that, especially for the business that I'm in, it works with imagination. That's what we do. Having that as, you know, a side gig is so helpful to me to see the world through somebody's eyes who isn't jaded, who, you know, they live in the moment. Kids, they're not thinking about tomorrow. They're not thinking about next week. They're thinking about right now. And that is something that I think is invaluable for not only actors, but everyone. You know, Mm. I think sometimes we can get very caught up in the future, which, you know, it's good to think about your future, (laughs) but not to obsess (laughs) over it because, you know, there are so many things out of our control. I mean, look at what's happening right now. Nobody saw this coming. And you can have something one day and not have it the next. So it's one of those things where be as prepared as you can be, but also inevitably change is going to happen whether you like it or not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So true. Oh God. I mean, that's like, that's the, you should write the actor's handbook right there. I mean, that is the attitude that you need <laughs> to go into an audition. I mean, it's, there's so much, there's so many other things too, but it's, it can be soul crushing if you let it and you shouldn't let it, you know, it's, it's hard to not take it personally. Like I've, I've taken things personally, but I've literally lost out things because I don't have the right hair color or eye color to match a mom. And that's not something that I can control, you know, or I'm too tall. You have to take it with a grain of salt in a weird way, (laughs) but just do your best because it's not about, I mean, it is about booking the role, but it's about booking the room. Yeah. You know, mm. you want to make fans of the people in the room so that even if you're not perfect for this role or this, you know, project, you want them to like you enough to bring you back for something else. Yeah. Or oh. the thing that you are right for. Yeah. So true. Fun little acting tips for everyone. You're welcome. <laughs> Just sprinkle a little bit of wisdom in this podcast. You know, no big deal. <laughs> so with all of our guests, we like asking closing questions, just kind of standard so that we get a a good grasp for who you are and can see some trends over time maybe and and get some cool little insights from people. Great. So what is the hardest thing about pursuing the arts? Finding your voice, I think, is really important, no matter what your specific outlet or medium is within the arts. And in my experience, I found that the performances that I'm the happiest with, whether that's in an audition room or on a stage or in front of a camera, the work that I most admire or that most moves me is the one that feels true and authentic to that person's creativity and knowingly so. There's kind of a difference between, I think, an actor that sort of stumbles onto a truth or something relatable in a performance versus the acting that you see that does that willfully. And I think there's always going to be a lot of pressure to, obviously everybody deals with kind of that external pressure that might kind of get in the way of that. But I also think that there's a lot of work that you have to do yourself to know kind of what your authentic voice is. And, and from person to person that can often require a lot of work or that can require not doing work and kind of getting out of the way, which is kind of something that I've noticed is really interesting, that that process is going to look really different for every person. But knowing what you want to say and knowing what form you want that statement to take is difficult. And that's kind of the daily work of being, let's say, being an actor, since what's on my mind at the forefront right now, that challenge never goes away. And that is, of course, also what I love about it. But staying true to that inner voice, knowing what my inner voice says and wants to do 
and making sure that it gets to be a part of projects that kind of amplify that. And I, you know, a little sidebar here, I mean, that's why, you know, a movement towards, you know, a, kind of a diversity of voices, I think is so important and so interesting mm. um, that this is kind of this conversation. I mean, it's been going on in, you know, in the, in the business now for several years, but, you know, I think that the more chances people get to amplify their voices and to do that collaboratively and the more kind of diversity exists within that that chorus the better and more interesting the work becomes so this is a another question that we have my (laughs) this is my favorite question (laughs) okay i'm excited what keeps you up at night at the moment again it's two things well for a long time it was verto was definitely keeping me up at night Mm -hmm. just in terms of you know thinking through the potential ramifications potential misuse of the platform it was very it was kind of an odd experience to be going along working on my play doing my university studies and then suddenly have to start thinking about questions that you know i feel like facebook should have been thinking about yeah, i don't know 10 years ago or <laughs> 6 years ago yeah um, and kind of trying to think about but that them now in right. case averto succeeded and then suddenly we had users all over the world and yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly yeah so um i when you're doing kind of a a social impact oriented venture that has a lot of users in part of the world that's um, facing a lot of, well, even before the pandemic was facing a lot of an instability. Yeah, there was a, a lot that kept me up in relation to that. That's abated a, a little bit just because things have kind of uh, grinded to a halt uh, in Libya because of the pandemic. But that is definitely kind of a, a background boil. And then the second thing that's really been keeping me up, I'm going to sound like a broken record again, but my creative work and making sure it stayed true to my voice and that it felt relevant. And I think that that maybe that's silly, that that's something that that would wake me up with a start at two in the morning and make me go trudge into my kitchen and make a warm cup of milk tea with vanilla. But it would. I was really, mm-hmm. I think, maybe too much, but certainly do spend a lot of time thinking about, you know, with my acting, with my writing, making stuff that feels true to what I want it to say and making it feel, you know, relevant and speaking to people. Uh, because I am, I am always kind of reaching out for that, that connection with others. And yeah, that's something that you can kind of only overthink and there's not much you can do about it because ultimately you do have to stay true to yourself and there's no way of guaranteeing if that's going to resonate with other people. But often it seems like the attempt to reach out is enough for people to feel connected to and, and like they want to reach back and like that there is resonance there. So yeah, those are the, those are the two major things that are, are keeping me up. This is our last question of our closing questions. To a person that might be interested in pursuing the arts while still working a nine to five, what advice would you give them? Oh, that's a great question. First point would be there's a lot that you can do even within the constraints, I think, of working a nine to five. You don't ha- you know, you can write at night, you can rehearse at night, you can record at night or early in the morning. And there are sacrifices involved in that, but that you know, the, the the time exists, it's a matter of prioritization. And that can be really difficult and something I've struggled a lot as well. I don't think it's just a matter of of like having the will to do it. I kind of hate mm-hmm. that that narrative of of you know, you know, well, if you believe enough, you will find slash make the time. It's you know, <laughs> right. that's very nice when you've already succeeded at whatever it is that you wanted to do and you can kind of look back and say that. But when you're in it, it, it can be hard to 
to make that prioritization. And so I don't have any advice on how to do that because it's really individual. But I think a, an important lesson that that I've learned over the past couple of years is that even in that prioritization, maintaining balance. So there was a time where I was prioritizing or trying to prioritize creative work over everything, you know, and I like I wouldn't go to cafes with friends, or I wouldn't go to a house show, or I wouldn't go work out, you know, I wouldn't go on a bike ride if the weather was beautiful. And I actually wasn't able to really create because I was lacking external stimulation and lacking the things that sort of I find inspiration in, which is, you know, everyday interactions and conversations like this one, you know, really mentally and intellectually stimulating and also hilarious at times uh, conversations with other people. Like that's really kind of my fuel. And I would imagine that that is the fuel for a lot of creative people. So when it comes to that prioritization, when it comes to that balance, that's going to be very individual and that's going to be on, on you to figure out. But I would kind of entreat you, I would plead with you not to give up on life as well, because life feeds your creativity and creativity feeds life. And that that back and forth is really important. That's piece number one. Piece of advice number two, you know, have expectations that you're aiming for. Definitely listen to Melody's advice about what is in your control and what's not under your control, because that is so important. And that goes for all art, not just acting. (laughs) Very much so. Yeah. And so, you know, pairing that with, with ambition and with expectations of things that you want to achieve um, while remaining kind of remaining grounded is so important for, for your sanity. So that's piece of advice. Number two, piece of advice. Number three would be to find a community to, to create with, even within your, you know, whatever your life looks like now, again, with that, if you're not currently in a creative field or in the arts, there are ways of building up a community of like-minded people. And that also, again, for me, I found I was able to write this play much more quickly, much more effectively in a much more interesting manner when I was sitting across someone else who was also working on a, a screenplay in their case, and that was a huge help. A lot of people say writing is is like an is you do that in isolation. This is very specifically about writing. I I have not found that to be the case for myself and other art forms. You know, even if you're a musician, <clears throat> you're a musician, you practice solo, but then you also have to practice with the other people um, that you'll be performing with. If you're an actor, it's all about that that collaboration. So, piece of advice number three: find a community of like-minded people, support them, and let them support you. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. You can find out more about our guest on Instagram at Alex Menzel, and his startup company is www.averto.ly. Their information and more details about the interview can be found on our website, www.artisticpodcast.com. If you liked the conversation, let us know by giving us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people like you to find the show and gives us a chance to know who's listening. For updates on new episodes and content, you can follow us at The Artistic Pod on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you again for listening, and we'll catch you next week. See ya.